did you have fun with that? I was, okay, no, I guess not. Um, I had fun. <laughs> well, today we are wrapping up a message series called Drafted, we, that we are all drafted onto God's team. Uh, and we have the mission of inviting people on a journey with Jesus. We're, we are all a part of that team. It doesn't matter what age we are. Uh, we're a part of that team. And I, I don't know if anybody here has had the experience of playing on a sports team at some point in their life. A anybody, I don't care what age you are. Did you ever play on a sports team? Maybe a soccer team or a t-ball team, upward basketball, that counts. Uh, high school, college even. Well, I've I, I played on many, many teams throughout the years. Uh, beginning way back in the Prairie City Soccer League. Uh, I was a little kid playing soccer. Anybody else play soccer as a kid? Uh, anybody do that? Yeah, I see lots of, lots of little hands. Uh, well, I played soccer and baseball, and then, and then I dropped out of soccer and started playing American football. Um, <laughs> and, and I loved them all, though. I, I also played basketball on my, my grade school team, and we had... Uh, like the YMCA, and I played in some leagues in basketball with the YMCA, but I wasn't nearly as good at basketball as I was at the other sports. And in fact, I was just barely good enough to make it onto my eighth grade team and my freshman uh, basketball team. Uh, but but uh, I, I rode the pine, if you know what I mean. Uh, younger kids, you probably don't know that because they don't allow that to happen when you're young. Uh, but when you get a little bit older, then, then you, you, you become, you could, if you don't play, you're called a bench warmer. Um, and, you know, the bench warmers, I, I handed the, the water bottles and the towels to the guys who were out there playing uh, when it was a timeout, and they, they came uh, to the bench. Uh, I was a bench warmer. But funny story, I, yes, I was a bench warmer, but I shared last week that, that I, I really, like, I played hard. Uh, no matter what the situation was. So uh, I would give it my all in practice and in games. And I think my, my eighth grade, <clears throat> excuse me, my eighth grade basketball coach, I think he really appreciated that about me. <clears throat> excuse me. I think he really appreciated that about me. And so, uh, you know, I, whenever, whenever uh, our team was up by a lot, I was usually the first one of the bench warmers to get to go into the game. And so there was a situation like that where we were winning by uh, quite a bit. My eighth grade year in basketball, it was a home game. And so uh, there were still five or six minutes left in the game and I was getting in, uh, which was remarkable. Um, and so I, I played a little bit. I got a couple of rebounds, had a great assist. I still remember this. Um, and then the coach called a timeout with like two or three minutes left in the game, which was odd because we were winning by a lot. And, and he drew up a play. And he drew up a play to get me open and get a shot. Because, you know, I was rebounding, I was passing the ball, but I, but I, never, I hadn't shot the ball. And so he, he drew up a play for me. It was the first time, only time in my life that a coach ever drew up a play for me. Um, and so, so uh, it was an inbounds play, and it was underneath our own hoop. And, and he drew it up, and, and I, it worked to perfection. And there, like the guy, a couple guys set a double pick for me, and I came around that pick, and I was wide open. The guy passed me the ball. I was, no joke, like five feet from the hoop on the baseline. Perfect place to be. And I proceeded to shoot it as if I was about seven or eight feet from the basket. And yes, so you can imagine it went a bit too far. It was a complete air ball, and all the starters, you know, they're on the bench, and they're just, oh! 
laughing. The whole crowd, all my friends were laughing. And, and you know, I came after, you know, a next dead ball and came over to the side. I, I, it was hilarious. It really was. It was funny. I felt embarrassed, but, but it was fun. It, it really was. And so I told the coach, I said, Coach, you, you, don't, you don't ever have to run a play for me again. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I was destined to be a bench warmer in basketball. Uh, anybody ever play a sport and you, you were a bench warmer in that sport? Uh, anybody else? Oh, okay, a couple of you. Good, thank you. I thought I was maybe in a church full of, like, all-stars all the time. Uh, let, let me tell you, for those of you who were all-stars, uh, let me just tell you what happens to you mentally as a bench warmer. After a while, something just kind of happens to you. And the, the, the other guys and I who were who are bench warmers, we bonded pretty quickly over our lack of playing time. We'd joke around, we'd laugh, we, we'd have a good time, we'd make the most of it on the bench. But inside, deep down, like we were, we were a little angry. And we all wanted to play more. And eventually, we lost hope that we would ever get to, that, that our situation would ever change and that we would get to play more often. So uh, honestly, after my freshman year in high school, an entire half of our team quit uh, because we had a large school and we had a big intramurals team, uh, a system. And so we just started our own intramural team and dominated there. Uh, it was fun. We, we, we were the B players in, on our team. And so we called ourselves the XBs. Uh, and so, so we, we had a great time playing intramurals, but we quit. We abdicated the responsibility of being on the team uh, to, to the other players. But, but let me tell you something that I, I don't want you to miss. Uh, in the church, we can't afford for you or anybody else to ride the bench. And we certainly can't afford for you to quit. You know, our mission, inviting people on a journey with Jesus, is way, way too important for there to be any bench warmers or holdouts. You know, one of, the, one of the main reasons that I found that, that people stay on the bench uh, or on the sidelines, whatever metaphor you want to use, um, is, is just, just this sense of just kind of being overwhelmed with life in general and, and not really being able to, to see or feel like, like you have the capacity to do more than, than hand water bottles and pass out towels to the folks who are really out there playing. Maybe that's you today. Well, our scripture passage that I'm going to share in a moment is from 1 Peter. Uh, Peter, the disciple who is now an apostle, uh, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And he was, he was writing this letter to uh, some Jewish Christians who had been run out of Jerusalem uh, because of their newfound faith in Jesus. They had been pushed out um, and had relocated to Asia Minor. Uh, kids, you might know that from geography, uh, maybe not. Uh, it's like modern-day Turkey, uh, not the food, but the country. Um, and this, this letter is a powerful five-chapter encouragement to those early Christians who were facing tremendous persecution. Uh, Jesus hadn't returned as quickly as they had anticipated, and they had been forced from their homes. They had lost their livelihood. They, had lost, they, they were living in a place that wasn't even like their, their, their home. Um, everything that had shaped their identity had been taken from them, save their relationship to Jesus and their relationship to one another. 
And they were crushed. I mean, they were overwhelmed. They were devastated. They, they were beginning to lose hope. And more than that, they were facing the very real temptation that you and I face when we face uh, uh, being overwhelmed. The, they face the temptation to quit, to give up, to, to mentally check out in order to numb their hearts to the pain of broken dreams. They face the temptation to abdicate responsibility, to cash out early, to to quit to play intramurals uh, or perpetually ride the bench instead of playing in the game. This is what Peter wrote to them, part of what he wrote to them. He said, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love carry, covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, you should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter essentially said, yeah, look, the end of all things is near. We're running out of time. Life is short. We only have so long to do all that God has called us to do. So don't quit. Don't settle for being a bench warmer. In fact, Peter, he gave us, I, I was studying this, I, I think he gave us four things in this little passage, four things that no matter how overwhelmed with life we might be, no matter how much we feel like we're out of control of what's going on in our lives, that we are to keep being about. And I want to quickly highlight three of these. They're, they're all in your message notes uh, this morning. Uh, and then I want to dwell a little bit on the fourth one as it relates to our series uh, here, drafted, being drafted onto God's team. But Peter reminds us that even when we're overwhelmed or suffering or, or, or feeling uh, like our lives are out of control, then, then we must continue to do these things. First, uh, verse 7, <clears throat> he said, uh, keep a clear mind to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times when the weight of uh, the responsibilities or, or just the reality of whatever situation, difficult situation that you are going through where even for, for me, I, I feel regularly, it presses up against me so hard that, that it's, it is difficult just to keep a clear mind. I, it is so much easier when things get overwhelming to just, uh, just to crawl up in a ball and, and you know, <laughs> hide um, and just not deal with the, the difficult situations that, that are pressing in. But Peter isn't even saying keep a clear mind so that you can chart a good path out of the situation that you're in. That's not what he's saying at all. He says, keep a clear mind, stay sober and alert of mind so that you may pray. He's saying, don't get caught up, so caught up in the despair of your situation and throw your hands up and quit. Keep a clear mind so that you can pray. Yes, a big part of prayer is to ask God for help, uh, but I, th I wonder if Peter might be getting uh, at a little bit more behind prayer, um, just as importantly, maybe to, to set your mind to prayer in order to see 
clearly what God is doing around you, even in the midst of difficult situations. And quiet your mind and be alert to see how God is at work, to, to hear God's voice speak to your heart in the midst of whatever disappointments you might have about things not working out the way that you thought they would. And never doubt that God is at work. And sometimes we, we can just get so ruffled in life that just our, our heart rates increase. Uh, we're just, just clouded. All of our thoughts are clouded that we can't quiet our hearts enough. Slow down enough to have our eyes and ears open to seeing and hearing God move in the midst of our situations. So Peter says, keep a clear mind so that you can pray, so that you can see God at work. But Peter goes on in verse 8. Another thing that we are to keep being about. He says, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Uh, you know, it, I don't know if this is the case in your house, but I, I find that when uh, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed, it's easy to turn on those who are closest to me. <laughs> Does that ever happen to you? Uh, you know, the, the people who are there, uh, it's easy to turn on when, it's, when times are difficult. It wouldn't surprise me if in the midst of the stress and persecution that those uh, that Peter was writing to, that they were experiencing, that, that maybe they had some disagreements about how to handle the dire situation that, that they were in. And, and I'm guessing that they likely had some very tense and heated conversation <laughs> about their situations. And so Peter reminds them to, above all else, keep loving each other. And don't turn on those closest to you. Keep loving each other. If you're going to slack off in anything, Peter says, don't slack off in loving each other. Keep doing that full force because your love for one another will, will cover over a multitude uh, of the painful disagreements and harmful ways that you may have treated each other in the midst of this, stre this stressful situation. Uh, but he goes on. Uh, uh, verse 9. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Uh, remember, these were Christians who, under persecution, had fled their home already. They had fled Jerusalem. They were themselves homeless in many ways. They had lost their jobs, their source of income, their homes. And Peter was telling them in those situations to offer hospitality. And as if that wasn't difficult enough, he adds the little parts that uh, kids, that, that sometimes you hear uh, your parents tell you uh, when uh, right after they tell you uh, to do something like clean up your room or set the table or wash your hands. What do they always say afterwards? They say, and don't complain about it. Uh, that, that happens uh, in these, these folks who had every every opportunity to complain, Peter reminds them to offer hospitality without complaining. You know, it's never easy to be strapped for resources, but to offer hospitality to others when you are not sure where that next meal is going to come from, uh, that's something that most of us don't sign up for. And if you're forced to do it, it can lead to bitterness and resentment, but, but Peter encourages them to keep giving themselves to welcoming others and to not do it begrudgingly. 
You know, Peter knew that further sacrifice would be involved and he called them to do it and to do it willingly. And he calls us to do the same. Even if we're feeling strapped for time or money or energy. He says, you've got to be about these things. Listening for God's voice in prayer, looking to God at work around you. You've got to be about loving one another and you've got to be about offering hospitality to to others without grumbling. And all of this, he says to Christians who are tired, who are weary, who are losing hope and considering throwing in the towel or, or just perpetually riding on the bench. And then, and then he offers this final direction. He says this in verse 10. He says to use your gifts to serve others. And this has been our entire focus of this this series the last several weeks. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You know, when the temptation arises to quit, to to abdicate responsibility, Peter says, don't stop. Don't stop using what God has given you to serve others. He says, you've got something to offer. Don't don't stop using your gifts. He says, that is your responsibility. God has already entrusted you with the gifts. He's given you the gifts. God's done his part. Now now it's it's time for your part. It's on you. You're his steward. He's entrusted you with something. And now, now use it. Use it for the benefit of others. For the benefit of the church and the world. You know, I, I sometimes wonder, especially when I'm reading uh, the writings of some of Jesus' original disciples, like Peter and, and John. Uh, in Peter's case here, I wonder if, as he's teaching these young Christians, uh, if he himself is, is reflecting back on what Jesus taught him. And I, I wonder if maybe when he was sharing this, if in the back of his mind he wasn't thinking about the parable that Jesus taught about the talents. Uh, where, where Jesus, uh, you know, uh, talked about some uh, uh, folks who were entrusted with money, uh, literally talents, uh, that they had been given to invest until the master returned. And one of those, uh, one of those stewards uh, was, was given money, and what he did is, is he rode the bench with it. He, he buried it. He, he didn't invest it. And so he rode the bench until his master got back, and then he had to account for his lack of stewardship. And Peter may have been thinking about that story that Jesus taught, and he may have been thinking about when the master comes back, he's going to ask, did you use what I gave you? Did you use what I gave you to benefit and serve others? Friends, the time is short. The the end of, of our time is near, regardless of our age. We, we don't have that long. And God's mission is too important to have us ride the bench when the field is ripe for harvest. What, what's great about this, this section of Scripture is that it ends with a, 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 a kind of the painting of a picture of what will happen if, if we keep doing these most important things, uh, regardless of our suffering or sense of being overwhelmed. Uh, verse 11, Peter says, If you speak, you should do so. As one who speaks the very words of God, if you serve, you should do so with the strength God provides so that, and here it is, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.
you know, when you do this, when you serve others with your gifts, speaking the very words of God or serving with the, the, the strength that God provides, then, then God will be praised. God will receive glory. I mean, think about it. How much glory does God receive when you ride the bench? When, when you quit? You've been drafted. You know, in the midst of your overwhelmed life, you have been invited into the family of God and given a charge to invite others into that family in the unique ways that God has gifted you. Don't abdicate that responsibility to others. God will ask every single one of us one day, did you, did you use what I gave you? And, you know, in this series, we have had lots of opportunities. I, I've pointed out many different ways to serve and to build up the body of Christ, the church. But if you're somebody who's just kind of been waiting back for that perfect opportunity, you're, you're thinking, well, nothing's really spoken to me yet. Uh, or maybe you're just the kind of person who says, you know, just put me, put me to serving anywhere. I, I just want to help I, I, wh wh wherever's needed. Uh, our staff kind of got together. We talked a little bit about uh, our, our top half dozen most urgent serving needs, places where you could plug in. If you're just a person who says, hey, put, put me to work anywhere. Uh, there are six things here in our serve section in your bulletin insert that uh, I would just uh, point out to you. Some deal with children's ministry. Some uh, uh, there, uh, we could use bus drivers. Uh, we'll even pay for you to get your CDL license. Uh, you know, we, we could use uh, folks in security and hospitality and, and tech ministry. And in fact, you may have even seen the table on your way in in the lobby uh, area this morning uh, for VBS. Uh, there are very practical ways you could take any one of the little cards there and just purchase what's on that card and return it for VBS in a couple of weeks. That's a great way just to take a, uh, to serve in a, in a very practical, simple way. Uh, but, but the point is, God's going to ask us, did you use what I gave you? You know, it doesn't matter who you are, how old or young you are, God's got a place for you. You can steward the gifts that, that God has given you, and you can make an impact in God's kingdom. You've been drafted. You're, you're, you're a part of God's team. And I, I was thinking about this this week that, you know, as a part of God's team, he has given us the most important mission that he's ever given anybody in the entire world, save for Jesus himself. The, the, the mission to share his love and his goodness with the world by using our gifts. And a big part of that is to, to build up the church, which when the church is living it out the way we're supposed to live it out, we are the living, breathing representative of God in the world. So it's time to get off the bench, to stand up and say, put me in, coach. In fact, the, the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, he had a special covenant prayer that is basically a prayer to God that says, I'm ready to get off the bench. Put me in, coach. And, and I'd love for us to pray this prayer together as kind of a, a closing to the message this morning. And uh, as we do that, the, I know the, the band will come up uh, as well, but the, the prayer will be on the screens. This is we kind of took out the thines and, and uh, made it a little more modern, but this is, this is essentially the prayer that John Wesley uh, taught, uh, the covenant prayer. So let's, let's pray this prayer together. Do we have that? I am no longer my own, but yours. 
Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.